This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. The NAC Orchestra has just returned from a tour of China. We left on October the 3rd and got back on October the 21st. The tour was very ambitious in scope and included concerts by the full orchestra, concerts by various small groups within the orchestra, and many coaching and teaching sessions. The new media team and members of upper management got in on the act as well and gave a few seminars of their own. The orchestral works performed on tour included Alexander Louis' Bringing the Tiger Down from the Mountain, featuring cellist Amanda Forsyth, John Astachio's Brio, Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony, Brahms' Second Symphony, and two concertos performed by Pinker Zuckerman, The Bruch, and Mozart No. 3. As well as the orchestra and management, a few husbands and wives came along to see what we really do for a living. Luckily for all of us, we had a doctor with us too. David Finestone kept a close eye on everyone and ministered to those who picked up bugs. After a 14-hour flight that took us over Baffin Island, the North Pole, Russia, Mongolia, and a big chunk of China, the pilot finally succeeded in finding Hong Kong. It was quite hot after autumnal Ottawa, but wearing shorts outside in October can never be a bad thing. The hotel in Kowloon was beautiful, and my room overlooked the waterway between Kowloon and Hong Kong, with the impressive Hong Kong skyline as a backdrop, and boats of all shapes and sizes on the water. So far, so good. After a fitful sleep, we sprang into action the next day. I should say straight away that although touring exotic places can be a pretty glamorous and rewarding business, there are always a few surprises in store. Touring orchestras have to be patient, flexible, and above all, good-humoured. Otherwise, the occasional and inevitable glitches can easily be overblown. That first day, our brass quintet and a woodwind quintet from the orchestra headed out to a school in the New Territories to play a concert. One small problem, though. Because of a delay at customs, Don Renshaw, our trombonist, and I had no instruments, and Vincent Parizeau, from the Woodwind Quintet, had no bassoon either. Still, we always live in hope. After a flurry of phone calls and texts between Mary Hofstetter, our education departmental den mother, and Pasquale Conachia, was at the airport cajoling the customs people into getting a move on, it was finally established that Pasquale should probably be able to get the instruments to the school in time for the show. So we went to the school with our fingers crossed to find the kids already filing into the auditorium. Those of us with instruments started warming up. Those without paced back and forth like expectant fathers outside a maternity room. 
Then, ten minutes before we were supposed to start, Pasquale arrived in a taxi with the instruments. As the Duke of Wellington said, after the Battle of Waterloo, it was a damned close-run thing. Once we were settled in, the afternoon was a delight. It was a pleasant surprise to see such a large group of school kids on their best behaviour. Each of the NHC groups played many concerts, and then we were treated to a show on traditional Chinese instruments. The discipline of Chinese students has become almost a cliché in North America, where they inevitably do well at whatever academic or cultural pursuit they turn their minds to. It was great to see this discipline and commitment displayed so dramatically in such a young group. The teachers had obviously prepared them well, and they responded with enthusiasm. We forgot about the recent panic and the jet lag, sat back, and enjoyed the show. Afterwards, we and they took lots of photographs to commemorate the occasion. We even made it onto the Chinese TV news. The next day was our first day as a full orchestra. Two full orchestras, actually, because we joined the Hong Kong Simonetta in a concert. We have done a few joint concerts over the years, most recently with London's Royal Philharmonic, when they came through Ottawa on tour. Musicians love meeting players from other orchestras, not just to play together, but to hang out, talk shop, eat and drink. The Hong Kong brass players were a great bunch. Most of them had studied overseas, most often in England or the USA, so we had lots to talk about. A fact that may surprise some people is that when large groups get together like this, we almost inevitably become self-effacing and non-competitive. Brass players in particular are noted for their egos. They come with the territory. You can't afford to be shy when you are the only one playing your part. In any case, we produced a nicely balanced sound with the double section and practically fell over ourselves, complimenting each other. Before the show, the Hong Kong brass players took us out to a nearby restaurant where we stuffed our faces with Peking duck and about 50 other dishes. We then waddled back to the concert hall, forced ourselves into uncharacteristically tight concert clothes and played Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony. After the show, feeling the need for more refreshment, we all went to a Bavarian pub and swilled back a few litres of German beer. If you ever needed proof that music is an international language, this was it. The next day, we took a train to Guangzhou. After the strong residual Englishness of Hong Kong, this was the real China. As soon as we came out of the station, we saw fruit sellers carrying huge baskets supported by bamboo poles on their shoulders. You can imagine their ancestors in the same posture hundreds of years ago. And yet Guangzhou, like all the other Chinese cities we visited, is ultra-modern, with miles of gigantic buildings of all types, as far as the eye can see. The hotel was next to the largest convention center in the world, and the tallest building in the world, at least until next week, when someone builds a taller one, is to found in Guangzhou as well. I was going to say in downtown Guangzhou, but these cities are so vast it's quite impossible to describe downtown in a Canadian or even North American context. The concert, this time on our own in Guangzhou, where we played the other major work of the tour, Brahms' Second Symphony, went over very well, and then the next morning we were off to the airport for a flight to Chongqing. Guangzhou is huge. Chongqing is gargantuan, Brobdingnagian.
extremely large. The population is about 30 million, give or take, although it's difficult to imagine how they might be counted. Try to imagine the entire population of Canada living in a large valley by the Yangtze River, and you get the idea. We had some time to explore Chongqing since we were there for several days. It's a fascinating place where old and new in China live cheek by jowl. As usual, there are miles of high-rise buildings, but also there are large neighborhoods of houses that double as small businesses. Everyone in China seems to be selling something. In the blocks surrounding the hotel, every building was either a shop or a restaurant. Across from the hotel one morning, we saw a peripatetic chiropractor at work. He jumped out of a car, then proceeded to manipulate the neck of a local shopkeeper as he stood by the side of the road. Finally, he gave the man's neck a tremendous wrench. This must have done the trick, because the shopkeeper seemed very relieved, no more tension, and still with the head on his shoulders. He paid the chiropractor, who then jumped into his car and sped off, presumably to his next appointment. One night a gang of us went out to eat at a local restaurant. Because of the language barrier, we did lots of pointing and guessing and hoping, but finished up with a meal to remember. Sichuan-style food in China is very hot, by the way. Sometimes the peppers are the main ingredient. The people at the restaurant were so obliging that we called on the cooks afterwards and gave them a standing ovation. Despite the massive crowds of people and the inevitable pushing and shoving we encountered from time to time, the Chinese we met were invariably helpful and anxious to please. You always feel at a disadvantage when you can't speak a word of their language or even read a sign, but they really made life easy for us everywhere we went. An unexpected feature of Chinese cities is the number of parks and the abundance of flowers. Even at busy intersections and traffic roundabouts, you will find well-tended gardens and lovely flower beds. In the parks, you find people doing Tai Chi, or even one day, as we saw, dancing together. The subway system in Chongqing is a showpiece, super clean and efficient. So most of the orchestra members were able to get about quite easily to do a bit of sightseeing. One feature of Chinese life that deserves special mention is the traffic. Because of the huge number of people, it's rush hour all the time. W.C. Fields once said that in the Middle Ages, drunkenness was so widespread it went unnoticed. Here's a parallel. If the craziest driver in Paris, Rome, or Montreal went to China, he would have difficulty making an impression. Traffic rules and traffic lights are just a suggestion. Everyone cuts everyone else off whenever possible. Signals are given primarily by honking horns, and pedestrians are fair game. I was in a taxi in Chongqing, barreling down the road towards a pregnant woman holding a child in her arms. The taxi driver made no attempt to slow down or even swerve, and missed the woman by about a foot. She didn't move an inch, she made no protest, and when last seen, had made it safe to the other side. I guess it works. I never saw a road accident the whole time we were there. The concert in Fuling was next on our agenda. Fuling is a sleepy hamlet of about five million people, an hour or so along the river from Chongqing. It provided the most eccentric evening of classical music most of us had ever experienced. Fuling's concert hall, 
like a lot of halls we played in China, is brand new. The audience, having had little or no exposure to orchestra concerts, obviously didn't know what to expect. Neither did we. Just before the concert started, a screen appeared by the stage and a series of advertisements and promotions were shown. Throughout the concert, people walked in and out, talked to each other or took calls on their cell phones and took pictures. You might say it was a bit rowdy, an indoor version of the Calgary Stampede, although no bottles were thrown at the band. In any case, it takes a lot to put off a bunch of musicians, and of course we played like gods. It was also very hot, so we took off our jackets for the second half of the concert. That doesn't happen very often either. The next night, in the magnificent hall by the Yangtze River in Chongqing, we played a concert that was quite sedate in comparison. Audiences in China are much younger on average than audiences in Canada. In every city we played, there was a preponderance of young people. If they carry on like this, there won't be any problem filling seats in China for many years to come. Next up was Tianjin. Tianjin is a very interesting city, but we were not there long enough to really appreciate it. It also rained cats and dogs most of the time, putting a damper on sightseeing. However, musically speaking, it was the most satisfactory concert of the whole tour. There's a lot of talk nowadays about concert halls and acoustics. It's a bit of a mystery to me, because even the ancient Greeks and Romans understood how important theatre acoustics were and built accordingly. Nowadays, it seems to be a bit of a crapshoot. One thing can be said for sure. If you want a concert hall built today, you can always find someone somewhere who will make a complete mess of it. The halls in China were, for the most part, very good. The hall in Tianjin was magnificent. Musicians don't just play instruments, they play the hall. And it's very rare to find a space where every note you play sounds as resonant and as clear as a bell, not just to you, but to your colleagues on the other side of the stage and to the audience at the back of the hall. The Brahms we have played so often and so well in other places has never sounded so good. And Pingus's concerto that night was something special, even by his high standards. After the concert, about a dozen of us, along with some major donors and senior management folks, headed off to Beijing on the bullet train. The bullet train travels about the same speed as a Chongqing taxi, around 300 kilometers per hour. So we arrived in Beijing about 45 minutes later. Because of a mix-up with the bus company that was due to pick us up, we had to walk a couple of miles in the rain carrying suitcases and instruments. As usual, no one really complained, although I suppose after the first mile or so, there may have been one or two who never expected to see their families or friends again. Fortunately, the bar and the hotel were still open when we arrived. It really doesn't take much. An army marches on its stomach, an orchestra marches on its liver. Beijing was the centerpiece of the tour. Apart from the two orchestra concerts there, there was a lot of teaching and playing by individuals and small groups. The day after we arrived, our brass quintet had two engagements, the first a park concert, and the second a concert in the middle school. Beijing is notorious for its smog, and we were worried about all the deep breathing we would be doing. 
Luckily, when we arrived, it was pretty clear. Fragrant Hills Park lived up to its name. We played in the open air to an enthusiastic audience. The park was a favourite of many emperors. It remains a favourite of the Beijing population. There were lots of families strolling about, and we attracted a handsome crowd. Let's face it, everyone loves a brass band. After the park, we headed over to a middle school comprised of kids aged about 12 to 16. We weren't sure what to expect. After tea in the staff room, we walked into a room that was bursting at the seams with an 80-piece band, their teachers, and about 500 family members, all armed with cameras. The quintet managed to find a small space to set up, and we played a few of our party pieces. Then we had a chance to listen to the band. They began with a euphonium sextet playing a Scott Joplin rag. It was very good. Then a trumpet quartet played a Mancini piece, also very good. Then the whole band played three or four selections. It was very impressive indeed. The music program is obviously well supported with every instrument you can imagine, including E-flat clarinets, oboes and bassoons, even four string basses. The percussion section was particularly impressive both in terms of sound and rhythm. The conductor was excellent, and the kids actually watched and followed him. Quite amazing, really. They would clean up at any competition in Canada. Afterwards, we were invited to say a few words, so we took turns telling them how great they were. It was expected of us, I'm sure, but they certainly deserved our praise. The photo shoot afterwards was something to behold. We felt temporarily, like film stars, and quickly developed an appreciation of the lives of Brad and Angelina. Every combination of student and quintet member was covered. Someone, somewhere, is going to have a very heavy photo album to show off to their grandchildren. I haven't seen our pictures in any Hollywood magazines yet, though. Maybe next month. The orchestra played two concerts in Beijing, one at the university, and one at the main theatre, which is housed in a building that looks like a giant egg. The concert at the university turned out to be a bit of an adventure. Because of the traffic, it took over two hours to get there. It took about half an hour to travel the last few hundred yards. Unaccountably, a keen security guard held up the buses when we were in sight of our goal. We discussed it afterwards and concluded that he must have spotted a viola. The concert started about 15 minutes late. As usual, suicidal drivers, pedestrians and cyclists cut in front of us at every opportunity along the way. Most musicians like to relax and warm up for half an hour or so before a concert. Not this time. And there's no worse feeling than arriving late for a show, even when the whole band is late. In the event, all went well. Needless to say, the trip back to the hotel took about 40 minutes. The bar was still open. The concert the following night in Beijing's main theatre was fantastic. It's another great hall, but not quite as good as the one in Shenzhen. Beijing has many attractions, including, of course, Tiananmen Square and the Forbidden City. There is also a famous silk market a couple of blocks from our hotel that sells everything from golf clubs to kimonos. A few orchestra members had suits, shirts, and dresses made. You're expected to haggle over the price. It's quite an experience. Like the driving there, the bargaining can seem intense and aggressive. 
but everyone takes it for granted and seems satisfied at the end. The standout tourist experience of the tour was, of course, seeing the Great Wall of China, a section of which passes close to Beijing. It's just over an hour away by bus. Everything in China is on a huge scale. The wall must be the model for everything that has been built since. It stretches hundreds of miles over some extremely rugged terrain. The mountains themselves form a pretty good barrier to invasion. Building a wall on top of all that seems to be overdoing it a bit. But there it is. We had a perfect day, sunny and clear, which is apparently quite unusual. Most of the group made the trip. Just walking along the wall is quite strenuous, since there are many changes in elevation, sometimes negotiated by unevenly sized steps. Some of us decided to walk down again instead of taking the gondola. My legs were like rubber for about three days afterwards. The tour finished up in Shanghai, which, like Hong Kong, has a very cosmopolitan feel. The architectural variety is breathtaking and the Shanghai concert was made more special by the attendance of the Governor-General and a few Canadian politicians who had been in trade talks with the Chinese. The Shanghai Concert Hall is much older than the other ones we played in, but had its own particular charm. The concert was completely sold out, and as usual, went very well. Touring is very tiring, especially when you factor in a 12-hour time difference. Nobody sleeps well, Sometimes people become ill. The odd glitches take their toll. But once the concert begins, everything is forgotten. The adrenaline kicks in, and everybody goes for it. The show must go on is one of the oldest cliches in the book. But it's true. It makes you proud to be a musician when you're part of a group psychology as powerful as the one generated by an orchestra. The evening after the last concert, we had a party at the hotel. New suits and dresses were much in evidence. I think everyone was relieved that everything had gone so well. We all worked hard, but we couldn't have done it without a tremendous amount of preparation and ongoing support provided by a management team, support staff, and interpreters. Over the last couple of years, they've made several trips to China and dealt with a variety of people, including promoters, sponsors, customs and immigration, artistic administrators, bus companies, airlines, hotels, and many others. It's not the most glamorous part of the job, but it's the most important. They all deserve medals. And we must thank Pinkus Zuckerman, who through his musical leadership has raised the profile of the orchestra to an international level and made such an ambitious tour as this all the more successful because of his brilliant playing. The next day, the orchestra headed back to Canada, although a few of us stayed behind to do some coaching at the Shanghai Conservatory. I met the trombone professor who had studied in Berlin and Chicago. The brass students were quite accomplished and gave a good account of themselves over a couple of hours working through Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet. The extra day gave us a last chance to do some sightseeing. My wife and I visited the Shanghai Museum as well as pottery and other art forms from thousands of years ago, there was an exhibition of French Impressionist paintings, one of the best I've ever seen. The concert audiences, full of young people, the schools we visited, and the day at the museum, summed up our Chinese experience. 
The Chinese have their own long and distinguished cultural history, and yet they embrace Western art and music too. China is full of surprises, but somehow we are not surprised. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. 
visit the podcast section of the iTunes store, where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NEC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. Thank you.